0: Visit openbiblenj.org for more information. Thanks again for joining us today. Now enjoy the service.
1: Thank you for singing out tonight. It's a good crowd here this evening, and we're thankful for everything that's going to happen tonight. This morning, we were blessed by the preaching ministry of Nick Graves. He's going to come and give us another message tonight, and I know that it's going to be a blessing to you, and this is why we're here, to be able to hear from the Word of God. So get your Bibles ready, and if you would, get your hearts and your minds ready, and welcome Nick now as he comes and speaks for us this evening. Amen. Thank you. All right, let's take our Bibles, if you would, and we'll go back to the book of Isaiah chapter 40. And if you were with us this morning, uh, you'd know that's where we were here this morning. We were looking there in Isaiah 40, and we looked at the first 11 verses, and uh, we'll look at the rest of the chapter here this evening. And uh, this morning, just to recap briefly uh, what we looked at, what we saw about the Lord, uh, we saw this whole chapter is all about really an image, a picture, a, a great picture of who God is for us Uh, And uh, what a powerful reminder it was. We saw, again, in the first few verses, we saw that God, His Word, it's a comforting, it's glorious, it's an eternal Word. And we can find great comfort in His Word. We can find, again, the glorious power and plan of God at work. And we can see the fact that God's Word's eternal. It's something we can ground our lives in. It's something that does not change. This world around us changes all the time. But God's Word doesn't change. And we saw this morning that God is a great shepherd. We saw the fact that He shepherds us. Uh, He's coming again. He's coming in power. He's coming with reward. And we saw the fact that He is uh, such a gentle and a wonderful shepherd in our lives. And we looked at places like Psalm 23 to see that wonderful truth. And so this evening, we'll continue here in Isaiah 40. We'll start in verse number 12. And to start us off, we'll read down through verse 17. We'll see here what the Lord has for us here in Isaiah 40. The Bible says in verse 12, Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and meted out heaven with the span? Who comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills in a balance? Who hath directed the Spirit of the Lord, or being his counselor, hath taught him? With whom took he counsel, and who instructed him, and who taught him in the path of judgment, and taught him knowledge, and showed to him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are as a drop in the bucket, And are counted as the small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing. And Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor is the beasts thereof sufficient for an offering. All nations before him are as nothing. And they are counted to him less than nothing in vanity. Let's pray this evening as we begin. Lord, again we love you. We thank you that we have this wonderful opportunity to come to worship you as a church I pray that you'd be with us now as we hear your word as, and help myself, Lord, as I preach it. I pray that you'd help us, fill us with your spirit, Lord, teach us from your word and show us in a greater way yourself. Show us Christ. Show us God, Lord, tonight that we pray in Jesus' name, amen. And again, like I said this morning, we saw Isaiah 40, and we saw that this chapter is such an important chapter in the book of Isaiah, because it's a very pivotal point. It's transitioning from one major theme in the first 39 chapters to now a a separate theme here in chapters 40 through the rest of the book. And he, he introduces this transition, really speaking on and honing in on who God really is. He revealed himself in so many wonderful ways, and we'll see many of those here this evening. He's revealed his word and his, the fact that he is our shepherd. And this next aspect that we'll see here this evening is we will simply behold his greatness. I know so, I say simply, but God is such a great God. I know I mentioned this morning of having the, the privilege of maybe vi- visiting some of the great uh, national parks of our country, uh, thinking of Yosemite in particular, seeing some of the vast uh, mountains and really the rock faces, seeing things like El Capitan. It's thousands of feet tall, and you can't even quite grasp the grandeur of it. But we see all these things, but ultimately our God is so much greater. Our God is, and we're going to see in a moment, in comparison to these great physical features, is is so much greater than we could ever fathom or even comprehend. And we see here that our God, He is great in just His physical uh, nature. He compares here in these first few verses, in verse 12 and verse 13 and 14, and continues on, speaking of God's just physical greatness. He uses some illustrations, some interesting illustrations, to help us to just grasp, because We know God is big, right? We know God's great, but he's trying to just help us to get just a little bit of an understanding of really how great he truly is. Because again, some of these things are so familiar to us, like yes, we know God is great. Yes, we do. But really think on that for a moment. What what does that mean for me? How should that change the way I live and the way that all of us live? He says in verse 12, he says, he says, who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Again, the hollow of your hand is just this little tiny space in your hand. I don't know about you, but if you tried to pick up much water in that space right there, I don't think you could pick up more than maybe a few ounces of water. But God, in in just how great he is, it says he could hold all of the oceans. Now, if you're curious as to how much uh, gallons our entire oceans are, I don't know how they figured this number, but it's over 300 quintillion gallons of water. That's a lot of water, right? I don't know how many zeros that is. I probably should know I teach math, but it's a lot of zeros after that three, right? And it's just showing us how great our God really is. Just physically, just in size, the greatest depths of ocean are nothing. They're just like a little couple ounces of water compared to our God. It's nothing compared to his greatness, It talks about, again, in there in verse 12, he says, and he's meted out the heaven with a span. A span is really only a few inches, maybe nine inches. It's not a great distance, but a span, he says he measures the whole horizon, the whole sky in front of him is just like a few inches compared to our God. I know... um, few years back, we we took a vacation over to uh, uh, Cape May, and uh, we spent a few days there, and I, like acting like somebody older than I really am, got up for the sunrise. I wanted to see the sunrise, look at it on on the the ocean there, because I grew up in California where the sun sets at the ocean, so I was like, I've never seen this before, so I got to see it once, and seeing the great uh, horizon there, because when you're looking at the ocean, there's nothing in the way, right? You can see the great vastness of that huge expanse of sky. And God says that huge expanse is just a few inches compared to his greatness. Our God just physically is is great. It talks about the mountains and the hills. He can weigh those. He can comprehend how large, how massive. They're just like a few pounds compared to our great God. Our God just physically is is a a massive, a great God. This whole creation is nothing compared to his greatness. Then he talks about in verse 15, 16, and 17... He's great compared to our, the nations. He's great compared to this world around us in, in political senses. Verse 15 says, behold, the nations, they're like a drop in a bucket. They're counted as a small dust in the balance. Behold, he take up the aisles as a very little thing. Again, he's saying it's like a drop in a bucket. If you were to take something and empty it out, maybe a water bottle, and you can tell there's a little bit of water left in there, but you can't really get it out. He says, all the nations are like that. That stuff, that residue inside of the bottle that is is insignificant, that doesn't even affect the weight or the the amount of water within that that receptacle. And God's saying the nations, all the great governmental powers around our world, the governments like our country, the United States, think of so many other nations, all of them are just like a little residue inside of a bucket. Or he says the, the dust on a scale, that immeasurable amount of dust that affects nothing. Ultimately, in God's plan, all the nations are in complete and utter dependence upon him. All this world, the nations of it, are under God's power. The Bible says, Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1, "...the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he willeth." God is in control. God, he looks at these nations, says, these nations are, are nothing in comparison to his power. They're nothing in comparison to his greatness. In verse 16, he continues and says, And Lebanon is not sufficient to burn. Now, Lebanon is famous for their great cedar trees. If you were to see a flag of Lebanon, there's literally a tree on their flag. That's how proud they are, and it is a central part of their nation that they're known of. Throughout the Bible, they talk about the great cedars of Lebanon and all these things. And God says, the whole nation, all those great forests, all that great expanse of woods, he says you could burn the whole thing and it would just be nothing. It would be like a flicker. It would be just a small spark in comparison to our great God. It says the, the nations, the, uh, those nations, he says, the beasts of all those nations, the livestock isn't enough to really satisfy one simple burnt offering for our God. And just in the physical sense. I know it might sound insignificant to a certain point, but it really is so, so encouraging to us when we realize our God is greater than this whole physical universe. He's greater than it all. And we, we deal with things in this physical universe. And we might deal with pain. We might deal with issues within our government. We might deal with, again, so much physically speaking. But can I tell you, our God is greater. He's greater than those things. He, the, all those things are just like a little tiny speck compared to his greatness. We see our God physically is a great God. But look at verse number 13 and 14. Not only physically... But mentally or intellectually, he is a great God in wisdom. Verse 13 says, Who hath directed the Spirit of the Lord, or being his counselor hath taught him? With whom took he counsel, and who instructed him, and who taught him the path of judgment, and taught him knowledge, and showed to him the way of understanding? Wouldn't it be great if you were born and you already knew everything? How many kids in here would like it if you already knew everything? You didn't have to go to school because you knew it all. You would have passed, oh, I've seen some hands are like looking at their parents. Can I raise my hand? Right? And it would be a wonderful thing, right? If you knew everything already, if you already all, all the history, all the science, all the math, you looked at any question, any quiz, any test, and you knew the answer. That's what our God is. He says, "Who's taught him?" I know if people sometimes ask, "What can God not do?" Right? Well, one thing He can't do is learn. Which sounds weird. It sounds like, what? He can't, because he knows everything already. God knows all. He is great in understanding. He is great in wisdom. He is great in his knowledge. In Proverbs 3, two very, very familiar verses. It says, trust in the Lord, verse 5, with all thine heart. And lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. Because God knows everything, I can trust him. I can follow him. He knows what is going to be in my life tomorrow, a year from now, 5, 10, 15 years from now. He knows every single thing that's going to go, take place in my life. He knows it. He already knows what great peace that should give to us, that he knows. I can trust him. I can follow him. Uh, he is trustworthy because he knows what it is, and we'll see he loves us enough to help bring the best into our lives. He loves us. He knows us. He knows all that takes place in our lives. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. We see our great God. He is physically great, and he is intellectually a great God, greater than anything we could ever become or ever fathom. He is that that great. Not only do we see that, we see Isaiah transitions now to uh, the next section and begins talking about an illustration. Look at verse number 18. He says, To whom then... Will ye liken God? So he, he's running into a problem. He's saying, God is greater than this earth. He's greater in wisdom. How in the world can I compare him to anything? This, this world, this earth is just nothing. It's nothing compared to him. How can I liken? What, what can help me understand him? Verse 18, he continues, to whom then will ye liken God? Or what likeness will ye compare him unto? It says, the workman meeteth, melteth a graven image, and goldsmith spreadeth it over with gold and cast his silver, silver chains. He that is so impoverished that he hath not oblation chooseth a tree that will not rot. He seeketh unto him a cunning workman to prepare a graven image that should not be moved. Have you not known? Have you he not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundation of the earth? It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth. And the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers, that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in, that bringeth the princes to nothing. He maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. Yea, they shall not be planted. Yea, they shall not be sown. Yea, their stock shall not take root in the earth. And he shall also blow upon them, and they shall wither, and the whirlwind shall take them away as stubble. To whom then will ye liken me? Or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One, lift up your eyes on high, and behold, who hath created these things, that bringeth them out of host by number, he calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might, for that he is strong in power, not one faileth. Why sayest thou, Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God? And Isaiah goes into this long illustration of trying to help. God, saying, how how can I express myself to you in a way that you could understand? And ultimately, even with these expressions, they're still past our full grasp and past our full full understanding. But what is God really like? What, What can we liken him to? Sadly, oftentimes, we settle for counterfeits of what God is really like we settle for second best. We settle for something we can make up in our own minds. We settle for a counterfeit. Now, back when I was in high school and college, I worked at a fast food restaurant named In-N-Out Burger. I don't know, has anybody had In-N-Out Burger in here? Uh, A few of us. Okay, praise the Lord. So, it is is like the Chick-fil-A of burgers, if that helps you understand what we're talking about. So, it's a good place. I worked there for about six years, and I would work nights to work my way through college, and as I worked there, um, it would be late. I mean, I'd be working till 1, 2 in the morning because they closed late out there. And, and I'd be working and I'd be going to college, so I'd be tired. And I wouldn't always be paying attention 100% to things going on. And one night in the drive-thru, I was taking money and things like that. And at the end of the shift, it was late. It was by that time, it was probably 2 a.m. And my boss comes up, he says, what is this? And he holds up a dollar, uh, $20, i am like, it's a $20 bill. And then he holds up another twenty next to it. I'm like, that's not a twenty dollar bill. It was smaller. It was a little goofy looking. It looked like a little little off. And I held in. I realized that is definitely a counterfeit twenty. I had taken a twenty. It was a counterfeit. It looked real at the time. At one a.m. when I was half awake, it looked real, but it wasn't. It was a counterfeit. And sadly, that counterfeit is worth nothing. And when we make counterfeits and images of God that are not really God, they're worth nothing. They will help us in no way, shape, or form. And what is God like? What is his likeness that can help us? And what are some illustrations that God uses to help us understand who he truly is? Well, first, we see that God is just simply unique. In verses eighteen or 19 through, through 20, he begins talking about graven images. He says, how, how are we going to understand God? How, how are we going to get a picture of God for our minds? He says, well, some people make graven images. They take, again, gold and silver, or maybe they can't afford that stuff, so they took a nice piece of wood. And they'll carve it, they'll set it up all nice, and, and make a false god out of it. And he says, at the end of that, he says, have ye not known? Have you he not heard? And he talks about how that is just so far from the reality of who God truly is. You see, when people fashion God after their own image and try to make him after what they want becomes worthless, becomes empty. It has no help, no bearing on their life. And we as Christians must beware, we must be careful when we start making God to fit our mold of what we want him to be, of what we want him to do for us and not who he truly is. See, the Bible says in Psalm 115, he says, but our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he pleaseth. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. They that make them are like unto them. So is everyone that trusteth in them. When we start making gods in our own image, those gods are worthless. They're, they have no effect. They, they have eyes, but they can't see. They have hands, but they can't handle. They have feet, but they can't move. They, they have a throat, but they can't speak. And when we make God fit our image, when we make God conform to what we want, our God, that God we've made, lowercase g, is worthless, is empty has no power. Our God is so much more unique than all of anything we could form him and and force him to fit into. But what is he like? He then continues and he goes, how are we going to know him then if he's so much greater than something we could grasp? And he, he uses two illustrations to help us, to help us understand who God is. He first uses an illustration about how God is ruler. God is ruler. In verse number 22, he says, It is He that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers. That stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent that uh, that to dwell in. That bringeth the princes to nothing. He maketh the judges of the earth all as vanity. And we see God is ruler. God is sitting on this earth in control, in in all power. God has this throne of our of our world. He is in control. Our God is not at all thrown off guard by anything that's taking place. Our God is in complete control. Our God, he is not thrown off by the fact that, again, the last two years have been so much different than we would have ever imagined. But our God knew. He knows. He knows exactly what each and every one of us are going through. He wasn't surprised by it. He wasn't, he wasn't somehow caught off guard and saying, oh, how do I regroup after this one? That caught me. Our God is in control. He is ruler. He is all-powerful. And we can trust the fact that God, he is in 100% control. Now, in Isaiah chapter 44, you might even be able to turn over a page or so. Look there, if you would, at Isaiah 44. As he begins to speak on the fact that God is 100% in control. Isaiah 44, we'll look at verse 6. And we'll read down through verse 8. The Bible says... Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first, I am the last. Beside me there is no God, and who, as I, shall call and shall declare it. And set it in order for me, since I appointed the ancient people, and the things that are coming and shall come, let them show unto them. Fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have not I told thee from that that time, and have declared it? Ye are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. He says, people, Israel, don't fear. I'm in control. Don't fear. I am your true king. You you fear of all these other nations, their gods, their powers, their, their abilities, and you're worried about. He says, don't fear. There is no other God. He said, he's like, I'm the only one up here. There's no one else. I don't know of any other God. And God, he is our ruler. He is in complete control of our lives. Our God, he is ruler. But then in in our passage in verses 25, 26, and 27, we see God as creator. We see God as creator. In Psalm 19, verse number one, again, a very familiar verse, but the heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament showeth his handiwork. This world demonstrates God's greatness and his power. He begins talking about God's power. He begins talking and says, who then will you liken me? Again, using the same question, trying to get the people to think. In verse 26, lift up your eyes on high and behold who hath created these things. That bringeth out their hosts by number. He calls them all by names, by the greatness of his might. For that he is strong in power and not one faileth. We see God is creator. But an interesting thing here he says. He says he knoweth them all by name. He knows every single intricate part of this creation. This creation is vast. This creation is past even our understanding. It is so incredibly large. The universe is just beyond comprehension in its size. Yet we've seen a moment ago ago, God is so much greater than that entire universe. We see God is, the the oceans, this whole planet is just like a speck compared to our God. Our God is greater than it all. And this, this creation demonstrates and shows to us how great our God is. And yet, in that greatness, he knows you and he knows me. He knows our name. He knows, Jesus said it this way, he knows the number of the hairs on our head. For some of us, like myself, it's not quite as many as it used to be. But he knows them all. He knows us very intimately. He knows us better than we know ourselves. In Psalm 139, the psalmist said, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest part of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance yet being unperfect, and in thy book all the members were written, which in continuance were fashioned when as, ye, uh, when, as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me. O oh God, how great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. Our God, He is vast, He is gigantic, He is past comprehension, yet our God knows you and he knows me he loves you and he's created you specifically exactly the way you are our very members the very way we're made it says it's written in his book he knows he has a plan for it every everything about us is perfectly designed for what god wants you to do and to be he has made you purposely and on for a specific reason because he is our creator he knows us He loves us, and he is in complete control in our lives. So we see God's likeness. We see, again, he is completely past anything we could truly grasp, but yet he is illustrated as a ruler of this world. He is illustrated as as the creator of this world. But then here, finally, we'll look at these last few verses, very familiar verses. We'll look here at verses 28 through 31 as we close out this chapter in the book of Isaiah 40. Verse 28, it says, hast thou not known, hast thou not heard? Again, the same rhetorical questions he's asking. He's trying to get Israel to think about who God really is. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have not might, he increaseth strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Our God is a God of wonderful power. Again, I spend a lot of time with high school students, so I hear questions like I'm about to ask quite frequently, more frequently than even you probably think, but... If you could pick one superpower, what would you pick? So, sometimes they'll ask things like, would you rather fly or teleport? Would you rather be able to go through walls or disappear? Would you rather, and they go through different scenarios of powers. And of course we know it's none of those things are going to happen. But, but we think about all these wonderful powers you could have, right? And, and how wonderful it would be and, and what you would do with those powers. But our God, his power dwarfs any of those powers that we could ever even imagine, that we think of, that we look to as as something super and supernatural and something we we can never attain, but yet our God's power is greater than all of that power. It's greater than all of those things we can even grasp or understand. Our God's power is awesome and unlimited. We see our God's power, it's endless. He says, hast thou not known, verse 28, hast thou not heard the everlasting Lord? God, the Lord, the Creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not; neither is weary. There's no searching of His understanding. We see our God's power; it's endless, it's limitless. There is no limit to the power of God. And again, anything that God desires, we've seen His power frequently through this chapter, because Isaiah is trying to emphasize to a people, the Israelites who are who are about to be exiled and just decimated, saying, "I am still powerful." There's purposes behind what he's doing, but he says, I'm still powerful. You can still trust in me. I still have a purpose and a plan. And he's saying here, God's power is everlasting. It does not end. It does not run out. It is something that can continually be trusted and rested upon. We see his great power. We see it as a power that not only he has, but we see secondly, it's a power that we need. In verse twenty. 9 and verse 30, we see that power is something we personally need. He says, he giveth power to the faint. To them that have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. We must come to the point in our lives recognizing our need for God. Recognizing our complete and utter dependence upon him. I can do nothing. Jesus said, without me, ye can do nothing. But we live our lives so often contrary to what that says. So often, sadly, so often in our lives, myself included, we live our lives and, and we look back and say, did I do that in my strength? Was I, was I just doing this all for myself? Was I doing this without any concern or question or, or seeking of God's strength and power in my life? we must come to the point recognizing that what God says is really true. Anything fruitful, anything lasting, anything that will have real impact will not be done apart from God's power in my life. It's needed. In Jeremiah, Jeremiah gives an illustration to help us understand just how limited we really are as humans. He says in chapter 14, verse 22, he says, Are there any among the vanities of the Gentiles that can cause rain? Or can the heavens give showers? Art not thou he, O Lord or our God? Therefore he will, we will wait upon thee, for thou hast made all these things. He asks a simple question, Jeremiah does. He says, among all the Gentiles, among this whole world, who can just control weather? They needed rain for crops. They lived in a, 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 an agricultural society. They lived in a dry area. And all they needed to do is just, hey, can we turn the rain on and then we're good? he says, we can't even control the rain. Jesus, he puts it another way in in the gospel. He says, how many of us, if we thought about really hard, could add one cubit to our stature? 18 inches. How many of us could grow? Hey, if you just want to grow, I know some of you that are younger, you might be wanting to get taller, right? As you're aging, you want to, I want to get six foot or I want to get whatever height. We can't control that. Just something as simple as how tall we grow. We have no power over that. We have no control, no power in just some of the seemingly simple things of our world. And yet we can think in our own strength we can do anything and everything. But we need God. We need his power. We We need his enabling in our lives. But a wonderful truth. God's power is endless. We must recognize that we need his power. But thirdly, God's power is available. To you and to me. It's available. If you look there at verse number 31, it says, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That power is that limitless power just just think of a moment all that we've looked at if you were here with us in the morning how God's word it it brings comfort how God's word we saw it is powerful we saw God that he is a gracious leading shepherd in our lives we see all of this of God we see the fact that he is great he is limitless we see that all of who God is that's available to us he is offering that to help us in our lives not not just for whatever I want, but to fulfill his will and his his glory. But he's offering it up for us. As he closes this chapter out, he's trying to emphasize, says, This great God that I've spent again 30 verses describing to you, that I've I've spent a large portion of time. I've described his greatness and his likeness. I've described his his leading in our lives. I've described his word to you. So all of that is available to you and to me. It's available something we can call upon, we can wait upon, we can wait on him, and he will strengthen, he will help, he will guide, he is going to help us in our need. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus speaks of this very same availability. Verse 28, he says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus says, if you recognize your need, just come unto me. Come unto me, all you that labor and that are heavy laden. All of you that recognize, I can't do this. I am am completely, utterly helpless without God all of us that recognize our need. just says, come unto me. I'm meek and lowly in heart. Learn of me. Again, that's what we've been doing. We've been learning of who he is. We've been learning how powerful he is, how gracious he is, how, how, how powerful and mighty he is. Learn of me. Take my yoke upon you. Again, that, that yoke, that that plowing device that you'd put two animals in that had two holes. He says, take that yoke upon you. I'll, I'll be the one pulling the load. You just come along for the ride. I'll, I'll be the one taking the brunt of it. But you just come along and participate with me. Take that yoke upon you. He says, you'll find rest for your souls. We'll Find rest. We live in a restless world. We live in a world that is just running at 1,000 miles an hour, that, that's just trying to get things done, that, that it seems like we don't have enough time in the day to do all the things we have. But he says, we'll find rest. We'll find rest if we just come to him. We come to him humbly. We come to him recognizing our great need, recognizing, God, I can't, I can't do this without you. It's just going to be a waste. It's just going to be a, another just hopeless situ- situation. when we come to him recognizing God I need you God I can't do this without you that's where real power comes we looked at the verse before but this morning but let's look at it again second Corinthians chapter 12 Paul Paul had an issue we don't know exactly what the issue was he says he had some thorn in his flesh he had some some concern some problem probably some health thing we don't know the exact extent but whatever it was He was coming to God time and time again. God, I need you to take this from me. I need you to give me victory over this. God, this this weakness that's hindering me, seemingly, that that is preventing me from serving you. God, take this thorn from me. God says, no. God says, no, I'm, I'm not going to do that. Because he says here in verse number nine, he says, And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, would I rather glory in mine infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. He, he uses very strong language. He says, I rejoice, I glory, and I'm I'm excited about my weaknesses. Even about the difficulties in his life. I don't know about you, but that's hard <laughs> to get to that place. God, these are all trials in my life. I'm happy for them. Because your power is going to be seen through my weakness. That's where he was at. That, that's a, let's be honest, that's a tough place to get to. But what a powerful place that is. What, what, what a gracious place that is. What a place that Paul here is illustrating. What, what, what a place of great power and of great peace that God brings us to. When we recognize, God, I've got problems. I can't solve them. I need you to work in my life and to help me. That power, that limitless power, that that eternal power, that, that, that power that is beyond all of this universe, it's available to you and to me. If we would just come, if we would just ask, if we would just humbly submit ourselves to him, recognizing, God, I can't do this. Really, I can't. But I need you to do it through me. And that's where God, and that's really where this whole, this whole chapter sums it up to. God is great. I'm not. But he's available to you and to me. He is available to work through us. He is available to see himself glorified through my weakness. He's available. Our great God. He is such a great God. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for who you are, how great you truly are. You are greater than, than anything. You are past real comprehension, Lord. You are an amazing God. Help us to not just let that just come in one ear and out the other, but help us to really, truly grasp that reality, really dwell on that reality. Really, Lord, I pray that your spirit would transform us through who you are, through your greatness, that we would develop faith to trust you, that we would develop love for you, that we would develop a a, a great temperance and meekness in following you. Help us, Lord. Help us. We need you. Lord, we love you for who you are. We thank you. And we pray this in Jesus'
0: name. Amen. Thanks again for watching us online today. If you haven't done so already, please fill out a digital connection card so we know how to better serve you this week. For encouragement throughout your week, you can listen to past sermons by searching Open Bible Baptist Church on the Apple Podcast or Google Play Store. If you'd like to give today, you could give online at openbiblenj.org. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you on the next broadcast.